The title of this message today in this section of Romans 6 is Know Christ's Work and Reckon It True. Know Christ's Work and Reckon It True. The title derives its words actually from the passage. How many of you know the song Amazing Grace? You know that song, you're familiar with it? The man who wrote this song, his name is John Newton. Not only did he write some great hymns, but he also shared great thoughts, great theology as he became a great man of God, converted out of a very sinful life as a slave trader. He once said that the two pillars of our Christianity are the work of Christ on the cross for us and then the work in us by the Holy Spirit. These are the two pillars of Christianity. The work of Christ on the cross for us and then after we come to know him, the work of the Holy Spirit within us. We are right there between these two pillars as we come to Romans chapter 6 in our study here. We are dealing with the very heart of the new birth. And I am anxious to get right into the text so we can move on through it. I want to remind you, in these messages you do need to think. And in these messages, you do need to pray for more light, more light, more light, more light from the Holy Spirit. And afterwards, go on to review these things and ask the Lord to give you more light. Because this is, in every sense, time-release truth. This is time-release truth. It unfolds and unfolds. You grow into it in your Christian life. In Romans 6.1, Paul opens the chapter by saying, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And his reaction to that is certainly not. God forbid. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? That's his short answer. His long answer is everything that follows that, running all the way down to verse 12. So in verse 3, he says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him and that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing, here's that word again, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died. These are great words. The death that he died. He died unto sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Then in verse 11, this very turnkey word, likewise, likewise. If there is one word in the whole passage that is the key that unlocks the entire passage, it is the word likewise. Likewise then, you also. 
Here's all the truth of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his resurrection. Then comes this word, likewise, you also. This is the turnkey word that opens the whole thing up for us. Likewise, you also then reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the passage. Basically today, I want to give you two things here. The word know, it's in the passage. And the word reckon, which is also in the passage. Know the doctrine, know the truth about what the Lord has done for us, then reckon it to be true. I want you to notice we are not asked to do anything until we get to verse 11. We are not asked to do anything in this passage until we get to verse 11. And then we come to the word reckon. So let's take a look at this whole idea of knowing here. The word comes up three times in the passage. In verse 3, or do you not know? In verse 6, knowing this. In verse 9, knowing. So Paul is trying to get across to us, there's something here that you need to know. This is very, very important. Make sure that you come to know it. Then we get into the idea of the actual truth that we are to know. And the phrase I would give you, really, in my mind, mentally, I've written across the passage is this, that what has happened to him has happened to us. What has happened to Christ dying and rising again from the cross, what has happened to him has happened to us. That's what Paul is saying to us. That comes across to us so clearly in one word. Where is it? Verse 11. What's the word? Likewise. Likewise. All of this is true about him. This is what happened to him. Now, likewise. Apply it all to you now as being one who's in Christ. What has happened to him has happened to you. So I would just write that phrase across the passage. What has happened to him has happened to us. Something I just repeat to myself over and over, and it makes the passage become clearer and clearer and clearer. So let me give you basically five thoughts right in here. Just five things. You might want to just listen closely, or you might want to jot them down. Five things as it relates to this idea. What has happened to him has happened to us. First of all, when a man dies, he is freed from the realm of sin and death. That's a pretty simple truth. When a man dies, he's freed from the realm of sin and death. That is what Paul is giving us in verse 7. For he who has died has been freed from sin. I think we can all understand that. It's over once you die. So... When a man dies, he's freed from the realm of sin and death. That's the teaching of verse 7. A second thought here is when we died with Christ, we were freed from sin's realm to live in God's realm. That is the teaching of verse 8, if you look there. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Is that just in heaven? No. It begins the moment you're born again. It begins right now. If we died with Christ, that, that's a miracle that takes place by God the Holy Spirit the moment you believe upon Christ. You're united to the work of his cross. All that he's done for you, you are united with him now in his resurrected life, which is where you get your life. So again, when we died with Christ, we were freed from sin's realm to live in God's. Verse 8, now if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. A third thought here. Christ's death to sin was a permanent one 
time event. This is taught to us in verse 9. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. He's not going to do it again. Christ, having raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. We're talking solely about him right now. In verse 10, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. The thought in those two verses is Christ's death to sin was a permanent one-time event. And I don't think we really have a problem understanding that. He died on the cross. He rose again from the dead. He appeared and disappeared for 40 days following that. He appeared even at one time to 500 people at once. He then went back into heaven in front of everybody. And it was so clear what happened that the, the people that were watching, the disciples who were watching, just stood there and kept watching. So that after he was gone, they were so amazed that they were dazed. And they just kept staring. It was as if they were frozen, like Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz. Just frozen. And so the angels had to say to them, why do you keep staring there? You've got work to do. Now that you know everything you know about him, don't just stand around staring. You have work to do. Get on with it. He'll be back. That's what the angels said to them. But that's how real it was to them. He died and he rose again. His death to sin was a permanent one-time event. And that then is our guarantee that we will go on to share in his resurrection life. He's risen from the dead. He will be alive forevermore. So he was at one point under the dominion of sin, but the verse tells us death no longer has dominion over him. How did that come to pass? He took our sin upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Let's put it another way. He who never had to die. Did he have to die physically? Would he have died? He was born of a virgin conceived by the Holy Spirit of God, and he never sinned. The wages of sin is death. Thus, from Adam on down to now, all have died because all are born in Adam. However, Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit, miraculously, born of a virgin, lived his life and never sinned. Would he have died? No. No, because he never sinned. The wages of sin is death. The reason there came a time when death had some dominion over him when he actually died is because he took our sin upon him. It's because he became my substitute that he died. He literally died for me in my place. Thus, having done that, we read here that his death to sin was a permanent one-time event. He died for me, he died for you, and he will not do that again. And just in case we're ever wondering, all we have to do go, is go back to the cross and look again. And there we find him saying these words, it is finished. Some of the greatest words in the Bible. Let me take you to another thought that is here, number four, a fourth thought. Christ's life in the realm of God is a permanent life. In Romans 6.10, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. I don't think that's even that hard to understand for us. Thus, it makes it absolutely glorious to lay hold of what I'm going to say next. It'll fall right in your lap. Christ's life in the realm of God is a permanent life. Therefore, a fifth thought I want to give to you is our life in the realm of God is a permanent life. 
likewise. You see, what has happened to him has happened to us because of what he did for us. Our life in the realm of God is a permanent life. Listen very closely to what I'm about to say. As Christ once entered his resurrection life and does not depart from it to come back here again, as he did the first time, as he entered upon his resurrection life and does not come back from it to return here again, so the believer, once dead to sin and alive to God in Christ, cannot return to his old life in sin. Isn't that awesome? Do you get it? Do you really get it? Just as Jesus Christ is not going to be born of a virgin again, come back here, walk around on planet earth in the midst of fallen man, go to the cross, bear the blackness of sin and the wrath of God again. He's not going to do that. In fact, he can't do it again. It's done. It's finished. Once for all, he's not going to play the movie backwards, do it all over again. He can't do it again. Neither can you reverse the process of God when you have been born again by the power of God. And maybe right now for the first time in your life you're understanding what's happened to you. There's so much shallow teaching as it relates to salvation. You will sometimes see a bumper sticker or a license plate holder that says Christians aren't perfect, they are just forgiven. I have a huge problem with that because it's, it just falls so woefully short of the truth of what's going on. It is so much more than being forgiven. It isn't that we're just driving around cruising through life and, hey, I'm just forgiven. You know, I'm basically just like you, only I'm forgiven. That's the difference between us. That, that's not even true. That's, that doesn't even scratch the surface. You believe on Christ, you're instantly justified, fully forgiven once and for all, and that fits you for heaven. And only then does it just begin. That's not the end of it. That's just the very beginning of it. We're so much more than forgiven. We have had all of this in front of us happen to us. You see, we can't reverse a supernatural process. Jesus said you must be born from above. That's what he was telling Nicodemus. You must be born from above by the power of God. Once that detonation of life has come into you, you don't reverse the process of being born again, of dying and being buried with Christ that God has done for you, that united work of God, the union with Christ. You once for all leave the realm of darkness that you were born in. He, you are born out of it into the realm of light. You don't reverse that process. You once for all leave the darkness and you once for all enter into the light. And the good news is, you spend the rest of forever there. That's the good news. That's why the gospel is good news. And what happens then is verse 11 explicitly draws this conclusion. In verse 11 it says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. That is so wonderful to contemplate. And this is how he does it. Notice he says, reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin. He doesn't leave it there. He goes further. That's the dead part. Now he goes to the living part. This has happened and then this has happened. Dead indeed to sin, but alive to God. Where? In Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the truth we are to know. Want to have an easy way to remember it? It goes like this. I'm dead to sin and alive to Christ. I'm dead to sin and alive to Christ. 
Probably a phrase I've repeated almost more than any other phrase in my Christian life. I'm dead to sin and alive to Christ. Dead to sin and alive to Christ. That's what we are being told to reckon. That is the truth we are to know. What's the implication of this then? It starts to get very practical when you realize this then gives us a place to anchor our faith. This is where I place my faith. This is what we are finally asked to do in this passage. We're asked to do something, and it is this. Place your faith in this truth of what God has done for you. You understand why this is so important? Why we need to be very clear on these things, all of us? Because you cannot apply what you don't understand. You cannot apply what you don't understand. There is no benefit to truth that you don't understand. For you, for me. But once I understand it, once I embrace it, once I make it mine, I can begin to apply it. I place my faith there as I come to understand the truth of what God has done for me, what he's done for you. Here's how it works out. It is clear knowledge of this truth that enables you to stand against the devil. You ever wish you had more victory against the devil? I know you do. It's clear knowledge of this truth right here that enables you to stand against the devil. This is the truth that will make you free. And if you don't understand it, Satan is going to come along and he's going to use your ignorance as a big handle to yank you around spiritually. A big handle to grab and just yank you around. And so the next thing you know, you're on your face in defeat because you don't understand who you are. You don't understand what God's done for you. The handle of ignorance, we are getting rid of that. So that this is, in fact, the truth that makes you free. Jesus in John 8.32 said, You shall know. There's that word again. You shall know the truth, and then the truth will make you free. You shall know the truth, and you'll make yourself free? Is that what he said? Thank God he didn't say that. He said, You will know the truth. The truth itself will begin to make you free. It's the truth that sets you free. There's power in the Word of God, there's power in the truth of God. And that is why I'm telling you, this is a season in our lives where we need to learn this. We need to let it sink deep down into us. We need to pray for those ears to hear, as Jesus talked about. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We need to pray, Lord, give me now, at this season in my life, big ears. Big Mickey Mouse ears, as it were. Imagine yourself with big Mickey Mouse ears. Look in the mirror. See yourself in the mirror with those big Mickey Mouse ears? Oh, my, look at those ears. You know, imagine yourself like that. This is what we need spiritually, to scoop in all that the Lord would say to us concerning this truth. We get rid of the ignorance. We get rid of the handle for the devil to yank us around and lie to us. Because when we believe his lies, when we are deceived by him, we come under his power. You understand? He traffics in lies. That's how he works. If we can counteract with the truth, his lies then are ineffective on us. The importance of knowing this truth, seen in the passage, the truth we are to know, dead to sin, alive to Christ. The implication, we place the anchor of our faith here, and the truth then becomes an anchor to our souls. The impact of knowing this truth The impact of knowing this truth is now you're moving into the realm of the armor of God. The armor of God. You familiar with it? 
the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of peace, the sword of the Spirit. What is the sword of the Spirit? We will have an entire message on that soon. But what is it? For right now, the sword of the Spirit, let me give you a definition of it. Because right here, today, is the beginning of the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is a specific understanding of specific truths, which refer to specific principles to apply to specific temptations in our lives. Let me give it to you again. The sword of the Spirit is a specific understanding of specific truths, which refer to specific principles to apply to specific temptations in our lives. Specific, specific, specific. The belt of truth is a general working knowledge of this book right here, the Bible. The sword of the Spirit is all the details inside. Because you see, the devil's been studying man since the garden. And he has a lot of lines of attack. There's a lot of lines in this Bible of truth to counteract his lines of attack. So the sword of the Spirit is understanding the specifics of the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's the specifics. Let me just show you real quick before we move on into the next part of this message. If you look at the life of Jesus Christ, Matthew 4.6. Hold your place in Romans. Go to Matthew 4.6. Here's the effect of knowing. Matthew 4, 6, Jesus is out in the wilderness. He's been there fasting for 40 days. He's now become weakened physically at his weakest point. He's been attacked by the devil the whole time. The devil has saved his biggest temptations for last. And we see how the Son of God reacts to the temptations, how he defeats the devil. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. What is the devil doing in attacking the Son of God? What is his approach? What is he using? The Word of God. So, how does Jesus respond to him? Does he say, you know, you can say whatever you want, dude, but I'm God. <laughs> That's not his response to him. His response to him is he comes back with details of the Word of God. Satan loves to quote the Word of God and twist it. We counteract with the Word of God without twisting it. And Jesus said to him in verse 7, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Then verse 10, Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So I'm just giving you an example from Jesus Christ's life. The power of knowing. The power of knowing. This is why, personally, I have such a hard time with pastors who don't feed the people the Word of God, who don't teach details of New Testament doctrine of what has happened to us in Christ, because the people then are left without the tools to fight the enemy. Left without your sword in a battle, the hardest battle of all, fighting Satan of all things. To be left without a sword is a tragedy. And that is why I'm committed in our church to teaching you doctrinal truths. Why? To bring you to a place where you have more joy in your life, more victory in your life, because you have the truth that makes you free. Knowing 
Let's go to the second thing in our message for today. This is going to be intensely practical from here. We go from knowing to the word reckon. Back in Romans 6.11. We read here, likewise, we now know what that is there for. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Reckon yourselves. The word reckon comes from the Greek word legizomai. It is a word that means to count, to compute, to take into account, to make account of. Basically, pulling it all together means to conclude, to conclude, to arrive at a settled conclusion of what you're convinced of. Likewise, then, reckon yourselves. Likewise, conclude this. You are dead indeed to sin and alive to God and Jesus Christ our Lord. You're coming then to a settled confidence on these matters. A settled confidence. Coming to the place where now the sword of the Spirit starts to become real to you. Not just something you heard about or read about. It starts to become real in your life. Reckon yourselves, he says. Then he says, reckon yourselves to be dead. Notice, indeed. Why does he say that? Because we are dead indeed. And he knows that we have a problem now. Sometimes believing it. Dead indeed. There is sometimes a problem in believing this is true. God is presenting to us the truth. It's up to us to believe it. But sometimes we have a problem believing it. Why is that? Well, partially because we do fight a formidable foe who is Satan, and we must fight his lies. His lies come to us in a variety of ways, a plethora of ways, whether it's false doctrine, lack of teaching, ignorance, he takes advantage of our ignorance, he twists it, whatever, whatever. He lies, and it's a problem, and we sometimes believe the lies. Then we have a hard time believing God's truth. He plays off our emotions. Satan's lies cause a problem believing it. Battles and defeats with sin. The truth comes to us here in Romans that sin's dominion has been shattered, broken. However, follow me very closely on this. Nowhere are we told that sin is dead, sin itself. We're told we're dead to sin, but sin's still there. You follow that thought? Sin is not dead. Satan is not dead. And Satan's system, we call as Christians the world, which is designed to lead people into sin and keep them there, that system is not dead either. The world is not dead, the devil's not dead, and sin itself is not dead. So these then are things that we battle with. The Christian life involves a fight. Thus we have armor from God. We have truth here from God. We have armor from God in Ephesians 6. We have all these things from God to help us till we get to heaven where all of this is resolved. But in the meantime, sin is not dead. Satan isn't dead. The system around us is not dead. So the truth that makes us free, you understand, needs to be crystal clear. Because as long as we're in this body, in this world, Satan will attack us, sin will cause a problem for us, and the world will seek to lure us into sin. So we become crystal clear on this, and we conclude personally this is true, even though on certain days I have a hard time believing it. Let God be true and every man a liar. God's truth is God's truth. We take these things then by faith, by faith, and... Our faith isn't like supersonic all the time, right? I mean, that's pretty basic. Our faith isn't supersonic all the time. Thus, it creates a problem, the problem of imperfect faith. 
how come I sometimes have a hard time believing this? Because of my imperfect faith. It's a problem. In 1 Peter 5.8, Peter says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Our faith is imperfect. The body of truth that we attach our faith to, however, is perfect. It's rock solid. It's the truth of God. It's our faith in apprehending it that wavers. Because of that, we have sometimes a problem believing it's true. But please hear this today. That doesn't mean it's not true. So as we grow in the Lord, we grow in our ability to set our faith there and leave it. The psalmist wrote in one place, my heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed. We must come to that place with this truth. There's the problem of believing it's true, but I want to move over now to the practice of believing it's true. We have our problems, yes, but let's get into the positive practice of believing this is true. This sound understanding of this great doctrine will cause me to see this. Salvation is transformation. It's not just addition. I think a lot of people have the idea about salvation. It's just adding Jesus to your life. So you'll see a billboard that says something like this. Got Jesus? Something like that. Have you got Jesus? I saw one the other day. It said, try Jesus. I drove by and I went, try Jesus. What, I can stop by and get like a little Whitman sampler? You know, the Whitman chocolates? Sometimes at, at Christmas, you might have somebody give you a gift. It's a box of chocolates. Well, there's a company that makes chocolates called Whitman. Whitman got the idea a long time ago to, at holidays, package up like six of them. Six little pieces of chocolate, and thus you're not shelling out several bucks for the candy. You can try it. Pay a buck or so. Try four or five. It's called the Whitman Sampler. Look for it this next holiday in your life. <laughs> so you unwrap it, you open it up, and you sample one. If you're like me, you take your thumbnail, and you pick it up and turn it over, and stick your thumbnail into the bottom of it to see if it's the kind you like or not. If they don't give you a map, what are you going to do, you know? If you ever open a box of chocolates on a counter anywhere around here, and there's thumbnails poked all the way through the bottom of every one of them. Danny was here. <laughs> I guess he didn't like this box. But Whitman Sampler, try Jesus. Well, it's like, you, come on, get a little Whitman Sampler of Jesus. Just go ahead and try him. Take a sip. Take a sip of Jesus. Take a sip of salvation. Try salvation. Try it on. Hmm, let's see. Ooh, not bad. I don't know. I kind of don't like this. It's not very popular nowadays. I don't want it. You don't try Jesus. You don't try salvation. You don't just add Jesus to your life. You don't just stick a bumper sticker on your car and go, yeah, I'm one of them now. I'm going to heaven too. Beam me up, Lord. No. Salvation is not simply addition of Christ to your life, like some badge on your shirt, some baseball cap with Jesus on it. It's not that at all. It is complete transformation from the inside out in your life. It's because God himself comes to live within you. So we're talking about the practice of believing it's true. You come to believe salvation is transformation, not just addition. It's huge. 
Turn your Bible to Colossians 3. Colossians 3. In Colossians 3, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Now we're talking about our new life in Christ. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Colossians 3.1. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, and set your mind on things above and not on things on earth. Why? Verse 3. For you died. There it is. There's the truth now from Romans coming up here in Colossians. For you died. And your life is where? Hidden with Christ in God. Something about me died, and something about me is wholly alive now. The old life I had died, and the new life I have now is wholly alive, and it's in Christ. In Galatians 6.14, let me read it to you. Paul said, God forbid I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. He's created this radical cleavage. Here's how it works out then. If you are a Christian, you are dead to the dominion of sin. You are dead to the dominion of Satan. And you are dead to the dominion of the world, that unbroken dominion that kept you down as a slave to sin. You're dead to that. Likewise, reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to God and Jesus Christ our Lord. My mother, when I was a kid, used to sew a lot. She had a Singer sewing machine. One of the really old Singer sewing machines made out of this dark, heavy, oak-type wood. And there down on the bottom, there was this treadle. <laughs> Thank you very much. There was the treadle. And she would sit there and pump that treadle. And then there was this belt that went up and around, through, down and up and around. And so as she pumped the treadle, the belt would... And the needle would go funk, 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 up and down. And I would just lay and watch that thing go up and down. Oh, my, my. She's amazing with that. You know, I'm just a kid rolling around the floor. You know how you do when you're a kid? You roll around and look at things. And I remember rolling around, looking up at it, going, wow, man. And, and then I remember distinctly, one day she's just furiously going along. And all of a sudden, got to finish this dress for your sister. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the belt broke. She yelled out a few things, which I've chosen to forget. <laughs> the belt broke. And everything stopped. She had to fix the belt by getting a new one and putting it on there. When she reattached it, she could pump that treadle again, and then the thing would go up and down like this. Here's what I'm trying to say to you today. This is what Paul is trying to say to us. To be dead to sin and alive to Christ means that the unbroken dominion of sin and the devil has been broken. It's like that belt breaking that makes the thing go up and down. Never again, because of what God has done, never again can the devil reattach the belt to control you in an unbroken way, to make you do everything he wants you to do. Never again can that belt be attached. Something that has happened that's irreversible. God has made you free. So now, for the first time in our lives, we are free to say no to sin. And you might be thinking right here today, well, then how does temptation work into all this? 
How could I be dead to sin, alive to Christ, if I'm tempted the way that I am? Sometimes emotion just crowds in and it just bypasses everything we're learning, like right now. Some of you are thinking that. How could I be a new creature, dead to sin, and still be tempted like this? Or if I'm truly dead to sin, wouldn't my temptations become less and less? Get used to disappointment. As long as you're in this body, temptations are never going to become less and less. My Bible tells me. Jesus Christ was tempted in all ways as we are. Adds this, he never sinned, sin apart. Nevertheless, tempted in all ways as we are. 100% God, 100% human, 100% holy, yet tempted. Are you going to be any different? You see, yes, you're a new creature in Christ, but that doesn't mean Satan's going to stop tempting you. So then to be tempted, listen, to be tempted is not a sin. To be tempted, it is a test, but it's not a sin. To be tempted, then, is not an indication that you're not born again. It has no bearing on that whatsoever. Jesus was tempted. You'll be tempted. He was holy. He never sinned. Temptation is not an indication that you're not born again. Temptation is an indication that you're still here on this planet, still battling the devil, and you're still in a fight until you get to heaven, when the ultimate victory is yours. So understand that. Put it in its proper category. Because sometimes you're going to go along for a season and Satan, by design, will simply stop tempting you. Nah, this one will really drive him crazy. I'll stop tempting him. I'll just stop tempting her. She will then assume she's now achieved a whole new level of holiness by her efforts. I'm going to wait. Everybody stop. Don't tempt her for the next month. Focus on this guy over here. I don't know how it all works, but you can have temptation stop, and then suddenly, okay, everybody, we've all stopped for a month and a half. Charge! And all the forces of darkness now are focusing on you, and here comes the temptation. Whoa, what's happening to me? And you might be there, and Satan's saying, what's happening to you is you are rapidly backsliding. Check it out. Why would you think such thoughts even to have it cross your mind, never mind the fact he's bringing the thoughts to you. Temptations from the devil. You see, this doesn't mean that you're now suddenly backsliding. This doesn't mean that you're now not born again. This means you're being tempted by the devil. That's all it means. The Bible says in Luke 4.13, when the devil had ended every temptation, speaking of Jesus, When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until he had an opportune time. So you understand he comes, he goes. The temptation comes, it goes. It is not an indication to me being alive in God or not. It just is an indication that the devil's still there. That's all that means. If we can understand that, we can come back to the truth and rejoice into it. In the truth, we can reckon ourselves to be alive in God and a living relationship with him. I want to close with the words of D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. If you're a reader and you want to plow into this more in your own life, get D. Martin Lloyd-Jones writing on Romans chapter 6. He has an entire book on just Romans chapter 6. If you keep digging, you'll find out he has an entire book on every chapter in Romans. They're all his sermons. So if you think I'm detailed and you think I'm slow, Lloyd-Jones preached on Romans for 11 years on Friday night. He called them his faithful Friday nighters. And he actually had to retire before he finished the book. So you want detail on Romans? D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. That's where I go.
And I found this. He said, concerning our new life in Christ, I am as much in Christ now as I ever shall be. There is something that has been done by God. This is something that has been done by God. I have died with him. I have been buried with him. I have been risen with him. And I am seated with him in heavenly places. Now let's be clear about this, he says. My knowledge of this and my realization of this can grow and increase and develop. But as for the fact itself, it cannot grow. It cannot develop. You are either in Christ or you are not in Christ. You can't be partly in and partly out. You can't be going in and going out. You are either in Christ forever or you are not in Christ. He went on to say half of our troubles and half of our depressions are due to this, that we confuse the fact with our consciousness of it. I am in Christ and my realization of it varies, but the fact is an absolute, it is an eternal fact. End quote. I am dead to sin. I am alive to Christ. And I also am growing in to fully believing this. And so are you. But praise the Lord, we are. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you today for this wonderful time in your word. It is so good, Lord, to learn about you and about your love for us. Uh, we thank you for our great salvation, transformation. Thank you, Jesus, that this is not just adding you to our life, but rather it's new life in you. We bless you and we praise you. Continue to unfold these truths to us. Cause them to come echoing back in our minds and our hearts. And we will give you all the glory. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.